Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Northside Sox podcast. My name is Janice Scurrio. Uh, Sam Sherman is absent. He's currently somewhere else doing something else. Uh, not exactly sure why. Uh, the place to be here is actually in this Zoom meeting with me. And I have none other than someone that you should know. Uh, he is a reporter with MLB.com. Uh, his name is Justice De Los Santos. Uh, so, uh, Justice, how the heck are you? Thanks for joining the show this afternoon slash morning. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Appreciate you for having me. Just got to cover the White Sox up close and personal these last three games set, which uh, is going to lead to a lot of people saying you're the reason why Evo Jimenez took a foul ball to the knee and why we lost to a three. No. Um, <laughs> I always, always kind of get that from, from my friends whenever I'm covering their team. It's like, you're the reason X, Y, and Z happened. I'm like, sure, whatever, whatever makes you sleep at night. <laughs> it's always like, so I, I casually think uh, um, astrology is fun. So like usually if someone tells me astrology is not real, it's like, you just blamed my friend for Aloy Jimenez taking a ball to the knee over the week. So it's, it's, it's almost a false equivalency there, but still an interesting uh, comparison. All right. Uh, so how long have you been uh, uh, in this role with MLB.com? So in this specific role, I started out in mid-March, kind of in the middle of spring training. And essentially what my role has been, uh, I kind of dissected into two parts. Um, the first, I want to say first month, month and a half of the season, I was covering teams primarily remotely. And because everything was pretty much remote, that gave me an opportunity to do not only West Coast teams, but you know, the occasional East, um, like Central team, East Coast team. I did the Marlins one day. I, did, I actually did the Cubs one day. They, they lost that game for, 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 whoever, <laughs> for whoever on the other side cares about that. But it was a lot more diverse in terms of who I was covering. But uh, kind of beginning in 
late April and more so in May, I, I kind of started primarily covering the teams that would parachute into, or that would come into San Francisco or come into Oakland. So that means primarily a lot more West Coast teams. Uh, although I did cover the White Sox, I did cover the Red Sox, did have a chance to do the Rays, but primarily been, you know, the usual suspects, the Padres. Uh, I'm going to be covering the Rangers this weekend, um, the Dodgers, the Giants, of course. Actually haven't had a chance to do the A's uh, for some reason since field access opened up. So um, that's kind of been, just in terms of scheduling, that's kind of been an interesting nuance, but um, that's kind of where I, uh, my specific role has been. And it's been fun. You know, I just got um, called yesterday, uh, Janie McCauley of the AP. She called me the rookie of the year because one of my favorite things to do is two of my favorite things to do. Um, I, I take the, the, the first, I kind of take that after my mom. Uh, the first thing is take a lot of pictures. Mm-hmm. Yes. We all know when we was growing up, our parents would be like, just take a million pictures and we'd be like, oh, stop taking pictures of me. I'm not feeling this. But then <laughs> you show it to them. You show it to someone after the fact and be like, oh, wait, this is great. And so that's kind of been the primary thing I do. And then the second thing I do is I also have this tradition of bringing donuts and day games. And, you know, some of the yeah. it, it's cool seeing some of like the, the OG reporters that have been like, oh, Justice, you're like the press box MVP. And like that just that stuff is warm my heart. So <laughs> That's kind of my role. I, I pretty much I veered off there from what your question was, but that's kind of been what my season's been like so far. Um, postseason is really going to depend more so on the A's than the Giants. You know, I'm be on a little bit of Giants coverage, helping out there. A's uh, perpetual mystery. Out, out that, but. A's are a perpetual mystery. Yeah, that that stuff that needs to go on a T-shirt. I think. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw your uh, your photo. You posted a photo of the the box of donuts you brought to uh, was it Thursday's game, Wednesday's game, but uh, and, and it looked very good. And I thought Day Game Donuts was the name of a donut shop at first. So hey, if anyone's listening to this and wants a free business idea, there you go, baseball themed donut shop, and make sure you give Justice credit for it. Oh yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna take that name, just. Uh, open it up but run me my check that's all I need <laughs> send justice his check uh, so yeah I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, field access uh, so I know that not every uh, uh, team uh, park has open field access to everyone quite yet uh, so I was credentialed in the 2020 season actually and so we were just sequestered to the press box only we weren't able to go anywhere uh, basically I just camped out right my my uh, 300 level uh, little base camp and I just sat there for the entire game now going on to the field though in kind of a post-pandemic situation uh, what was that like I know that you, you were also interacting with a lot of White Sox players this weekend uh, tell me uh, kind of if you have any cool stories from that so I'll get to the back half of that question in a second. <laughs> it has been, it's been an interesting first, like for this to be my first season, I guess the only way it could have been weirder if it, if it was last year, just because of all the restrictions, but it has been an interesting first season from an access perspective. Um, the field is open pretty much the, um, like there's a like two hour, two and a half hour stretch where the field is open. You know, it's kind of the normal ebb and flow of things. If you see someone kind of walking off the field, can you grab them? Um, things of that nature. Um, with some teams, it has, in terms of manager pregame, there have been a lot of road teams that have been committed to still maintaining the pregame zooms. There have been some teams that have gone completely from, they've just shied away from pregame zooms and said, we're going to do pregame stuff on the field. I think that's really a team to team thing. I know that the the Cardinals do that. I know that because I got pulled off a, a, a Cardinals game, a Cardinals series actually, because they 
made that transition, I was supposed to cover that from home. Um, I know there's been a couple others. I don't know them off top, but um, the home teams, at least from my understanding, will always do the pregame stuff um, in person. And then postgame stuff, it's still over Zoom. So you'll get the manager, you'll get one, two, three players, depending on how the evening went. But, you know, being on the field, well, the obvious aspect of just being on the field is like someone that's has like grew up as a fan of baseball. Like that's just been something that's cool in and of itself. Totally. But it is it kind of has led to some some fun interactions, not necessarily always with the White Sox players, but there there are a couple of White Sox ones that I do want to share from these last couple of days. Um, the first one is that, and I've shared this story with you already, but back in my sophomore, it was my sophomore year, it was the fall of my sophomore year at the University of California, Berkeley, which uh, was just recently named the number one public school, number one school in general uh, by Forbes, even though there's a couple buildings in there that are earthquake safe and the Wi-Fi doesn't always work. And there's still some problematic building names. We're gonna take that number one regardless. Um, but when I was a sophomore in school, I actually had the chance to take an English class uh, with someone that y'all may know, Andrew Vaughn. And it wasn't a yeah. really big lecture hall. It was about 15 students in there, so it was a very, intimate experience. We're all kind of just around this big table. And before classes, we would have an opportunity to chop it up with each other. I got to know him a little bit. And then that following spring, I had the opportunity to cover him, cover Cal baseball. And I remember the very first interview that I did with him, like when he, and when he saw me, he recognized me and he was like, what's up, big dog? So flash forward to Tuesday, you know, I knew he was in town. I knew he wasn't playing. And so, you know, I wanted to make it a point to kind of just like walk over to him, say what's up to him. And I didn't know if he was gonna remember me or not. You were kind of of the belief that like, ah, how, could, how could he not? I was like, how, how could he forget you? I, I, you <laughs> so, don't seem like a very forgettable person. So I, I, I was confident that he'd remember you. That's going on the resume right there. But <laughs> he, he just taking batting practice, he's walking off the field and I walk over to him and I have my mask on too. So, you know, it's a little more difficult to recognize who I am. A little mystery you know? there, yeah. But so I walk over to him and say, hey, it's Justice. And he didn't even need that. He was like, oh, what's up, man? How you doing? And we like dap each other up and we just talked for a little bit. And he was, and I was just like, how are you doing? He's like, you know how it is, you know, rookie season, yada, 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 got the family. So that was a fun, you know, just being able to, however many years after the fact, being able to have that just brief moment and being able to catch up with someone, a, a former bear as well. Although I don't know if he actually got his degree. He, he, I think he left a year early, so. <laughs> we, I'm, I might have to ask him that the next time I see him, whatever that might be. Um, the second one that's White Sox related, it was on it was on Wednesday, and we got the we got the chance to talk with um, Tim Anderson prior to the game. And for those who want to, you know, some actual White Sox news, some actual updates. Um, Tim Anderson was he took batting practice for the first time on Wednesday. He took some grounders on Thursday, running close to Max Effort. He claimed he ran a three-two down the line. I. I didn't see it, so I can't verify whether that's true or not. But we'll have to believe him. We'll believe him. He's getting up there in terms of, you know, pushing in terms of maximum effort. But, you know, me and a couple other reporters um, that cover the White Sox um, had a chance to talk with him prior to the game. And before we started, uh, the White Sox PR head PR guy was like, this is like he points to me and said, this is Scott Merkin uh, for the series. So treat him like you would treat Scott. And then Tim Anderson looks at me and he he pulls his hand back and he says, I'm gonna slap the shit out of you. <laughs> and then he starts laughing. So he was a he was a good sport about it. He's like, and I had a chance to talk with him about, you know, something other than the injury um, that might be coming out in the, well, not, I don't want to say not too 
far past, but maybe somewhere down the line. So really good dude, really a fun opportunity to get to talk to him. And there's a couple other, you know, stories of field access throughout the years or throughout, not throughout the years. I'm not that, I'm not that old throughout these last couple months that have been fun, but those are kind of the, the white Sox related ones. And I hope the, I hope your audience can gravitate towards those ones. <laughs> I'm sure they can. Yeah, you definitely got the full Scott Merkin experience with that Tim Anderson interaction. And I, I don't know if Scott listens to this podcast. He might. Uh, but anyway, if you are, uh, hi, Scott. Um, Justice did a fantastic job in your stead uh, this past series. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, so you mentioned Cal. You, you mentioned that you and Andrew Vaughn both went to Cal. Uh, you're also a recent college grad. Is that right? Yeah, I actually graduated last year in the, so I got a true, a, a tried and true pandemic graduation and uh, what my school did in, in lieu, at the time uh, in lieu of an actual graduation is we had the, the UC Blockley experience. And for those who are like, what the hell is he talking about? We got a Minecraft graduation, like the game. Oh my God. Did you like all log into a world, like a world via LAN and you all just like graduated that way? Okay. That's it, it was actually, it was actually really dope because like someone, or I think it was a group of people took the time to like actually recreate Berkeley's campus. And it was like super dope. I don't think I actually logged in. I think I just kind of went onto the YouTube stream, but that was a, that was an experience. That was something. Um, <laughs> but a couple of Sundays ago, I actually did have the opportunity to walk the stage and kind of you know, properly pin a bow on my college time. And I did uh, sh also shout out to my cousin Casey because we, he, we took my grad photos like the Friday before my, um, my graduation because I didn't take them at the time. And so, you know, even though I had graduated already, just had to have like that one little last ounce of procrastination in there because it, it never really leaves, does it? Yeah, I, I saw your photos and you're, you're holding a wooden bat in a couple of them, which I thought was was, was pretty excellent. Uh, so certainly the nice baseball touch there. So slight diversion, we're gonna talk a little bit more about the series in a little bit, um, but yeah, tell me about your personal history with baseball. Um, I'm assuming you're a Giants fan from what you've told me, uh, unless you're just kind of a self-deprecating A's fan, like what's the deal there? Yeah, I think by the nature of the job, I've kind of had to, you know, shy away from just general fandom, you know, maintain the, what's the word we like to use? The professionalism. Kind yeah, of the professionalism. Like the, uh, off the fan cap for a little bit. Non-partisanships, non and so it's right. kind of, it definitely created a, and I haven't kind of been a fan of the team for a couple of years. Like I do know a lot about the team just by virtue of being here, but it's it's created a different relationship with the sport. But to kind of go back to your question, um, I kind of grew up with a bat and ball in my hand and not exactly by design. It was just something that I always gravitated to. Um, my mom could probably rattle off a million stories about just how much I love the game growing up, but I think the one that I like to tell the most is me and my mom were standing in line. I think we we're, I think the way that she tells it, we were standing in line at a BevMo, just waiting in line, waiting for the cashier to ring us up. And then I unprompted say, and I'm going to quote her. This is because she's told me this story so many times that it's, it's firmly embedded in my head. As it goes, I told her, mommy, mommy, did you know that Bobby Bonds is Barry Bonds' dad? And I was like four or five years old at the time. And there's someone standing behind us and he's like, how does your kid like know this? And so that's kind of like, in terms of like level of just like how much I've been in the game or like how kind of embedded, like when I was kind of, I'm kind of gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna show off my youth here a little bit, but I was, I was four years old when the 2002 World Series happened. Oh. And 
even kind of then I was like super into the game. I was actually at the game when Darren Baker was yanked up. I was, I was physically there and was kind of to have like a full circle thing, just to go on a side tangent, Darren Baker went to Cal and I got to like cover him. So that was kind of like a crazy, like life is like the world is so small thing. But I remember just when I was four years old, I religiously rewatched like the 2002, like world series DVD. And I knew like, it didn't process until years later, but there was like no way that like a four-year-old should have known like that much about like the ebbs and flows of like the 2002, like season, like, like David Eckstein's walk-off grand slam against the Toronto Blue Jays is something that's like firmly embedded in my mind. Or like Miguel Tejada's like walk-ups or walk-off single or just the entirety of that 2002 World Series. Just like a lot of random baseball memories. They do say as someone who is generally unfamiliar with childhood development that the ages of two and four are very crucial when it comes to absorbing information. So it's, it looks as if that DVD definitely found you in, its, in, a, in your formative years. So you were able to rattle off all of those random facts in BevMo. Uh, for all of our Midwestern listeners uh, listening, by the way, uh, the uh, Chicago equivalent of BevMo is Benny's. Uh, so it's kind of like introducing that regionalism in there. <laughs> That's excellent. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So just generally, uh, you're a big baseball lover, uh, which is awesome. And now you found yourself, uh, yeah, kind of on the big stage and covering stuff. Uh, so kind of gravitating back towards the series. Uh, so uh, Eloy Jimenez is still recovering from taking that foul ball to his right knee, uh, which by the way, you did not cause. That was not your fault. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and also Tim Anderson still on the shelf for the time being, uh, but he might be returning soon. Like you said, he's making strides towards uh, progress on, on coming back to the lineup. Uh, and like, like you mentioned in your story yesterday, uh, Carlos Redon's start was pushed back, uh, but he, uh, Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito are definitely expected to return for starts before the season ends. Uh, so this team does seem a little banged up at the moment, but it's definitely better to get that rest and recovery now uh, before, that post, b- before the postseason starts. Uh, so there have been a lot of offensive woes. Uh, so like you mentioned on Wednesday, uh, the lineup went one for 10 with runners in scoring position, like woof. Uh, so besides those observations, uh, what are your big takeaways from the series? Yeah, kind of going back to the, the injury thing real quick, a couple of the guys did kind of allude to the fact that it's better for these things to happen uh, now than better now than later. Right. And, yeah. You know, there's still a lot of baseball to be played, but the White Sox do have a very firm grasp on that division. Obviously, it's you can't really it's not like kind of basketball where you can start managing minutes and really coasting the rest of the way. They haven't really hit that point in the season yet. But, you know, it's kind of, you know, from my vantage point, it's more about getting Rodon back, getting Lynn back, getting Giolito back and by extension, Anderson and Jimenez and making sure that they're kind of firing on all cylinders. As Tim Anderson said, you got to kind of fix the engine and making sure by the time October does roll around that they are operating on full strength and they're kind of sharpening whatever they need to sharpen. They're getting whatever maintenance that they might potentially need, but kind of going back to the series itself, it was, I kind of took it with a grain of salt from that perspective, especially if you look at the lineup that they uh, rolled out on Thursday, which. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it, I, was, 
I, I quote tweeted you and was like, what in tarnation is this lineup? It, it's definitely kind of the Tony is phoning it in, uh, you know, not really uh, much effort put out here. Uh, Leori Garcia was absent from the lineup too, and he's kind of on a tear lately. Uh, but uh, yeah, what the heck was up with that? What, the, what, what was up with that lineup? My goodness. Just a very big getaway day vibes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's the one thing that I've, you know, in covering so many different teams and covering these getaway days, you kind of learn that you know, getaway days, you just want to make sure that everyone is healthy by the time you get to that next series. And so I'm kind of interested in what that lineup's going to look like come today, especially with, you know, LaRusa saying that Jimenez could possibly return on Friday. But, you know, I, I kind of take the entire series um, with a grain of salt in, respect, in that respect. Billy the hitter, though, he got a triple, so. He did. He did on his birthday, too. You gotta love a birthday triple. It was it was incredibly fun to watch. Like I didn't really get a chance to see Trey Turner like turn on the burners when I was covering the Giants Dodgers series, but seeing Billy Hamilton speed up in person, you know, it, it's one thing to see it on television, but to kind of track him the entire way, like a, a like a left center like a, hitting a ball into the left center field gap. That's like a triple for like two people, three people. <laughs> so just just to see him turn on the burners was definitely a fun experience to watch. But yeah, it was definitely big getaway day vibes, and so. The, the game on Wednesday, you know, going one for 10 with runners in scoring position, especially I think they did have um, Garcia and Moncada in the lineup. That is kind of a, you know, not great, but, you know, those games are bound to happen. You know, those are kind of just the lulls that you expect over the ebb and flow of the season. And Frankie Montas, you know, former former White Sox guy. was he's, <laughs> A lot of old friends, yeah, that, that yeah. come across on the White Sox for sure. Kind of in the, both Montas and Manaya have, essentially just become like those dudes since Bassett went down like I think I saw a stat yesterday that Montas and Manaya are coming close to being the 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 duo with the most strikeouts in history I think they're going to eclipse like Mulder and Zito or Mulder and Hudson like Zito and Hudson like some combination of those three so like if if you're gonna if your offense is gonna get shut down it's, it's those are the two guys that you know you would kind of expect from because they've been dealing they really have yeah I actually did write up uh, uh, Sean Manaya last night uh, for NBC and yeah nine strikeouts it seems as if he's definitely been piling them on lately Uh, so uh, I'm I guess I'm not too shocked that the White Sox were uh, silenced by uh, by him but uh, otherwise uh, I think the mood right now amongst White Sox fans is that uh, even though we're kind of used to seeing a lot of these offensive lulls uh, by now, uh, we, we've already pretty much already have our, our ticket punch to the postseason. Uh, so a lot of the times, uh, yeah, we're, a lot of us kind of have to dial it back and just be like, hey, look, it's better that we're losing these games now in September instead of falling flat, flat on our faces once the postseason rolls around. Yeah. And I will say this, though, if anyone's concerned about, you know, potential offensive lulls, just know that if, if Eloy Jimenez can come back from the dead, he can he can take a foul he can take a an air foul ball to the knee and be okay <laughs> in terms of contributing. I think if he can come back from that IL stint, I think he'll be okay. I don't know how uh, engrossed in White Sox Twitter you are, but uh, White Sox Twitter essentially has this inside joke called White Sox Heaven. Oh, I've seen where, it. I love oh, it. Oh, yeah. So, so you're familiar with White Sox he- Heaven. This is amazing. Uh, but essentially every time a White Sox player goes on the injured list, uh, they are added to this celestial image in the sky. Uh, just mainly because the whole joke extended from how uh, the, the team Twitter account 
like was talking about Aloy Jimenez as if he was no longer with us um, after he uh, tore his pectoral muscle in spring training. Uh, so now that's kind of been the running gag for the rest of the season. So uh, <laughs> I remember when Luis Robert had that fly ball that bounced off his head. Someone photoshopped in an image of Jimenez just like looking down and it's like the one of like his arms crossed and just looking down on him. It's like, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. And so I don't know if that's a sign if I'm just terminally online or if I'm just in with all of the good, the good baseball memes. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I really hope that Aloy Jimenez can uh, come back. I just mainly because it's, it's very apparent that the lineup misses him. The lineup misses Tim Anderson too. Uh, yeah, so uh, let's talk a little bit about Dallas Keuchel's last start. Uh, so a lot of White Sox fans absolutely do not want him anywhere near the postseason rotation. And I think that's fair. Uh, so you did write, however, that his last outing, he was one out shy of a quality start. Uh, you said that it was a step in the right direction. Why do you feel that way? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think it kind of was a little bit of a low bar to, to clear, uh, you know, with, with all due respect to, to Dallas, it was a little bit of a low bar because in his two starts prior to that, he only pitched four innings, allowed 10 earned runs, 12 total. So, you know, in terms of correcting those, it wasn't, you know, he could have pitched four innings and kind of been stepping in the right direction. But yeah, so what I kind of mean by the, the one out away from a quality start is, um, he had two outs in the fifth inning. He had allowed three earned runs up to that point. And, you know, Larusa was giving him that leash to kind of just finish what he started. And if he gets that out, the way that we perceive that start is completely different. If Chad Pender doesn't triple into the right field corner, the way that we're perceiving that start in general is completely different. But he's not able to get that last out. Chad Pender triples. Um, he's taken out of the game. Pender scores. So instead of going from six innings, three runs, we're at five and two thirds innings, five runs. So this is kind of, it's, it's kind of, it's always important to kind of look at the, you know, how the, it is a little, it's easier to just kind of look at line scores and see how things evolved. But, you know, kind of one of the things I've learned is that if you really dig deep into how things occurred rather than just the, it's, it's almost cliche. It's one of the cliches that coaches and players use all the time, whereas you think about the process of things as opposed to just purely the results. But if you're looking at the way that things unfold, as opposed to just strictly looking at results, I'm, I'm sounding like such a coach right now. Um, <laughs> you kind of have a better, you can dig into the nuances of kind of how things go. And, you know, it's, it wasn't exactly his, you know, sharpest start, most, most dominant start, just from, if you kind of look under the hood a little bit, he didn't only walk one, he allowed the one home run on a hang slider, Matt Chapman, which Matt Chapman hit a million feet. Um, but the, the call strike with Fred, I think it was in the high twenties. So making kind of progress in that regard. Not like he's obviously had much better outings than that, but again, considering how those last two starts did go, that is a step forward. And, you know, one of the questions that was asked post game was, do you feel as if you'll have enough time between now and between October to kind of ensure that you're where you want to be. And one of the things that I found really interesting was he said that in terms of feel that he was kind of where he wanted to be, or if not where he wanted to be, just kind of right there. And the, the comparison that he made was it's kind of like being a shooter in basketball where you kind of, it's not solely about like mechanical things. It's just like how you kind of feel in the ebb and flow. So basically what I'm saying is a uh, Dallas Keuchel was comparing himself to Zach Levine. I uh, know I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, or the dearly departed Laurie Markkinen. I hope Laurie, we'll see how Laurie does it. 
Um, but that was kind of the big take for both uh, Larusa and Keiko. Um, Larusa said that he's kind of stepping in the right direction. Keiko feels as if he's there, and you know, if you played sports just in general, like you know how big of a thing. Like it, it's one thing to, you know, pitch. It, it's it's almost weirdly in in terms of just looking forward. It's almost kind of better to pitch like poorly but have that feel there than to have the results be there but not feel great. And it it is kind of a weird thing to say, but you know, it's it's almost like FIP in that regard, where if you like it feelings, it, feelings innings pitch, that's how we're gonna rebrand re it. <laughs> um feel feeling independent pitching is what I want to say. <laughs> but it is it just it just in general, it is important to just like feel I've said that word so many times in the last like couple of minutes. Just to have yeah, you're just, you're just very having have. ha having a good feel for things and having a good feel for the ball and, and his repertoire too. Um, how that fares in terms of postseason roster construction, who's to say? But that being said, there is going to become a point where, you know, not every game is going to be, you know, whether it's Rodon or Lynn or Gilito, there is going to be a game where someone's star does get cut short and you are going to need a long guy. That, that might be Keichel. Yeah. Lambert, that might be Lopez. It might be any combination of those three. But, you know, even if Dallas Keuchel isn't in the White Sox rotation going forward in terms of the postseason, or if you, even if he's not pitching bulk innings, I still kind of envision a role for him, especially just considering the fact that he's lefty and you can kind of exploit matchups in that way. Totally, totally. I can, I can definitely see him maybe even picking up um, if, if for whatever reason he's removed from the rotation before October, um, even just uh, more in a, operating in a swingman role, perhaps, and uh, doing long relief uh, more so in the postseason, too. Um, yeah, if, if I'm, I'm definitely more than willing to do that, um, just mainly because I don't know if I trust him yet for the first three games of uh of the ALDS. I'm just like, mm, not sure. Um, but he's definitely left White Sox fans uh, certainly scratching their heads over this, especially after the pretty dominant 2020 he had. Uh, he was he was really fun to watch in 2020. Uh, and of course, too, he had a lot of strong opinions coming into the clubhouse about leadership and how the team should operate. And so uh, hopefully he's now taking his his own advice. All right. So uh, to wrap up, uh, by the way, this has been such a fun conversation that I even forgot to stop for a break. Uh, we're, we're supposed to, you know, for like a little word from our sponsors, you know, a word from, I don't know, Preparation H or whoever is sponsoring us this week. But um, finally, I want to get your opinion of the White Sox generally from an external standpoint. Say, so what would you say uh, is the team's greatest weakness heading into the postseason? And you might have mentioned it already. And on the flip side, what do you think is their greatest strength? Uh, in terms of greatest strength, I'm going to take some words from Mariners manager, uh, Scott Cervais. Ah, yes. We love the Scott Cervais uh, cameo on the podcast. And that's going to be the fun differential because this team is <laughs> – <this Yeah. team, laughs> just like just outsider looking in, this just like team – it seems like a very fun group. And I think in terms of, you know, biggest strength it kind of does come down to you know their biggest weakness with over this last series in particular which is just the pure depth of their lineup and you know considering that we're kind of headed for a 2005 world series rematch with the astros barring something crazy happening with the al east um considering that that's probably going to be who the white Sox play in terms of just like pound for pound like guy for guy yeah one series just from like if you just like like and I know people have their opinions of the Astros and for valid reasons mm -hmm. 
but you kind of look at their lineup and you just kind of look at you know the amount of weapons they have and it's like man like these dudes can hit just straight up and i know that's gonna that's gonna lead to a lot of people go, i know people are gonna be mad they're gonna be mad online hashtag mad online but but it's kind of the white Sox are just right there and you just the amount of weapons that they could you know throw at houston's pitching staff that's going to be a fun thing to watch and i think kind of on the flip side of that you know i think that in terms of biggest weakness, the one thing that's always just kind of, and I haven't dug too in, too much into the specifics of this, but it always kind of felt like one of the bigger things that does get exposed in the postseason is fielding. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that the White Sox don't have great individual fielders, but it feels kind of like as a whole. Like Andrew Vaughn has done like a great job of filling in as a left fielder, but that's not his uh, he just learned that position this year. That that's incredible. Yeah, and and even just even in April, he was making ridiculous catches that we love to see. And that's not to say he's a net negative def- uh, left fielder. It's it's just the fact that you know you've had to convert someone from a first baseman to a left fielder, and you're putting them in kind of the boiler in, in that sense. Um, I haven't dug too deep into yeah, I haven't dug like too deep into the the metrics in a while. But I remember just at the beginning of the season that was just something that creeped up and creeped up very often and I think the other thing that does need to be kind of amended is you know that kind of eighth inning ninth inning like kind of you know which kind of version of Craig Kimbrell is going to be there in the mm-hmm. postseason and I, I don't kind of put it past Craig Kimbrell to put together a fantastic postseason but just the way that his White Sox tenure started it does leave a little bit to be desired you know you know granted in the one's opportunity that I got to see him he did shut down the A's like miniature rally on Tuesday that got Jimmy Lambert his first win which side note shout out to Jimmy Lambert first major league win and Ooh, Jimmy Lambert uh, yeah. also Crimble Crimble Kimbrel was brought in in the seventh inning I believe in that game which uh, a, a little unusual just mainly because uh, a lot of people like to bring up the stats like oh um, he does terribly uh, in the eighth inning because he he's meant to be a closer so he's he's been completely lights out in the ninth but of course too you're kind of putting him in this different weird setup role and so a lot of people were speculating that you know perhaps that was a source of uh, his rough tenure with the White Sox or a rough be- begin uh, of his tenure with the White Sox, as you mentioned. Yeah, I think just, you know, kind of given Kimbrell's track record, there is going to be a little bit of a, you know, an adjustment period in that regard, just because baseball is such a, it's a very routine oriented game. It's very, you know, in terms of locking in mentally, that's something that has to be adjusted just because the leverage is just, it's yeah. different. It's straight up. Uh, and, and a lot of the times, yeah, if that routine is disrupted in any way, then it just completely you know, throws things off. So to me, it completely makes sense why Craig Kimbrell would get rocked in the eighth and be lights out in the ninth. Like this is this is a, a way different comparison. But like for me personally, in terms of routine, like when I go to San Francisco or Oakland, like I park in pretty much the same spot every time yeah. I have to leave my house pretty like around like from like 140 to for night games, at least for 140 to two o'clock. And if I don't, I just feel mentally off. So, you know, I can imagine that if a, if a major league reliever who is trying to perform at the top of his powers is goes from one role to another, there's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period there. And I think that's, you know, in general, it's always good to remember that, you know, these are human beings first primarily, and there is an adjustment period to be made when you are going through these motions, but I think in terms of, you know, having the rest of September to really adapt to that, I wouldn't put it past Kimbrell and 
Hendricks to just be the most dominant one-two punch in that postseason. And that's exactly what we want to see, uh, just mainly because I was under the impression that Kimbrell and uh, Hendricks would be used as like like as tandem closers. Say if one isn't available, um, use the other. So essentially, Tony Larusa has all these weapons in his arsenal, like you mentioned before. I, I love that metaphor, by the way. I'm just thinking of just like like samurais and like just swords on the wall and just I don't know. I've been watching lots of anime lately, so that's like all like deep ingrained in my brain, but. Um, yeah, other than that, uh, as White Sox fans, we're just kind of coasting through it, trying to enjoy as much as this team as we possibly can. Uh, and yeah, looking forward to a postseason with the Astros, uh, which I mean, I'm not, I'm not super afraid of the Astros. Maybe I am just a little bit, but I feel as if, like you mentioned before, like pound, pound for pound, they, they seem like they're like equally matched with the White Sox both really solid starters, um, like granted that the White Sox starters are healthy and just uh, a lineup full of, of dudes that mash, dudes that mash. But uh, all right, other than that, that's pretty much all the time we have for today. Uh, I wanna thank my guest, Justice De Los Santos for taking the time out of his busy day to talk to a White Sox podcast. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely someone you should know. Uh, definitely follow him and his work. Uh, he might be covering your favorite team pretty soon if you happen to not be a White Sox fan and you're listening to this podcast. But anyway, Justice, where can folks find your work? Uh, you can find it on MLB.com. And if you, you know, MLB.com is a little bit, you know, because there's a, the team sites themselves. So easiest way to follow my, to find my work would be to follow me on Twitter at Just De Los Santos because my name is uh, too long. Uh, for, to put my full name in there so just j-u-s-t and then devil santos you can find my work on there i'm constantly tweeting out whatever i write um got a couple you know long form stories in the mix got a couple coming in soon so be on the lookout for those but uh yeah looking forward to interacting with some of y'all um assuming that you're not mad online if you're mad online um <laughs> i don't know if, if you in if you in the chicago area at least when it's the weather's nice outside if you're mad in the chicago area and you're mad online uh I don't know, man. No, just like, like, like go, go into like order a pizza, like chill out, like, like do a shot of Malort. There's like no, no reason to be mad when you're in Chicago. We don't. So we, this is kind of obvious to, to y'all, but we don't have a Harold's chicken out here. So if you met online, but you got access to Harold's chicken, I don't understand like what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> like go, go take your drive. Get your six piece with the mild sauce, with the shot, like, like Freddie Gibbs said, with the bread stuck to the bottom. Oh, get your food. If you want to be like me, drive up to Milwaukee, get some cops, and then just don't, don't be mad online. That's my uh, number one advice. Don't be mad online. Go enjoy, <laughs> enjoy what you got. Food wise, you just mentioned my favorite one two punch in the Midwest. So you've got your, uh, yeah, your, well, for me, I, I, I like a smaller order. So I typically get a, like a three piece with some fries, like, like dump some wild sauce on it, and then drive up to Milwaukee for the flavor of the day at Cops. So like 90 minutes away, but definitely worth the drive. But Justice, I think you're sh like, I, I could pretty much baptize you in Lake Michigan now, like, like just in the, past two sentences you said were so very Chicago. Not only did you mention Harold's, but you also quoted Freddie Gibbs. So uh, like by default, yeah, that's. <laughs> I, do have, I do have one more, one more brief uh, Chicago. Let's hear I, it, let's hear I, I got, it. I got, I got, I guess I got two deep cuts. Um, when I went to Chicago this past July, one of my homies, my homie Micah, and it was like six in the morning. She was like, we got to get you to take a shot of Malort. And I'm like, <laughs> 
I don't, I, well, for one, I don't drink, but two, I was just like, the fact that you're trying to make me take this leads me to believe that this is trash. And that's the reputation I've heard of it. it, it it's kind of a rite of passage, especially if you're visiting. Uh, so you might be familiar with uh, my homie, uh, Mikey Ahedo. I think I already mentioned him before earlier on this podcast. So he came to visit me uh, last month. And so we went to a Nisei lounge by Wrigley Field and uh, me and my friend, uh, Zach, we were like, all right, like Mikey's visiting, so we got to make him take a shot of Malort. Uh, not only did he actually like not cringe after taking the shot, he told us that he actually liked it. <laughs> he proceeded to, we went back to that bar too. We went back to Nisei Lounge uh, to go watch the Field of Dreams game before he left. And he voluntarily took another Malort shot. So I don't know if that says anything about Malort, but that says something about Mikey, but. Legends. <laughs> Legends only on this podcast, so. The other like Chicago deep cut is that this entire series I was listening to be by Common. I listened to it a lot. Oh, okay. All right. Shout I, I was not listening to, um, I was not listening to Donda. Although uh, Lucas Giolito said he's listened to Donda about 15 times. Now, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Were, were you the one who asked him that? His his Donda opinions? I wasn't the one who asked him, but he definitely was a, did not shy away from them. And then um to my fellow uh Scorpio, who I actually share a birthday with, uh Aubrey Graham, certified lover boy. Someone said he's too big to fail, and I kind of agree with that, but like uh, Aubrey, you're making the Scorpios look bad. You're making, <laughs> look bad. You're making October's very own look bad. <laughs> Oh man, maybe October Scorpios, November Scorpios, I think are a little more, a little more redeemable as, as I know too, that I, that I like a lot, but no, uh, you October Scorpios though, like, I, I think you need to. I will say though, I think the most, I think my favorite October Scorpio, that's not like a, that's not like one of my like friends is a Frank Ocean. He's an October Scorpio. October. Oh, I did, I, I did not know that actually. Oh, yeah. Hey. And he's one of my favorite artists too. So open it we need to we need to get the frank drop <laughs> hope you're doing well if you mr mr chris if you do if you listen to this on the off chance hope you're doing well man <laughs> all right justice again thank you so much for coming on and uh yeah oh my god all these chicago deep cuts i'm gonna need to yeah either shoot some malort listen to donda or like i don't know maybe harass another out-of-towner and in, into doing a shot of malort but Anyway, uh, we'll see y'all next time. Thanks for listening.